Chapter Eight of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in September two thousand twenty-one. Chapter Eight. When the storm had abated and Beth and Cora had come home, Lige and Letty drove to the county seat and were married by the justice of the peace. As Letty stood mechanically saying her "I do." she saw as on a stage before her eyes the wedding she had always visioned for herself the home church made beautiful with flowers and filled with friends who had known and loved her from her babyhood the pastor saying a prayer for her happiness the gallant figure with dark and splendid eyes who was to have stood beside her she must put away her hope of romance as one lays away the garments of the dead dreams as yet unbodied must be given up the knightly figure which the wand of time and place was to have summoned up for her must fade into nothingness before ever he had a shape or a name the future as well as the past must be put behind her her youth was over before it had begun but she made no protest she shed no tear but still and chill she stood to accept her fate. The wind had decreed it so. While many girls are women at eighteen, Letty was scarcely more than a child in physical development or in knowledge of the world. Only a short while before she had reluctantly given up playing with dolls, because she thought she was too old for such childishness, and she had merely dreamed her childish dreams with no experience of life's actualities. Hence, in spite of her dull unhappiness, she was not prepared to realize what she had undertaken. Her own ignorance mercifully anesthetized her to a knowledge of the pain that might be possible for her. She mourned over what she was giving up, rather than what she was going forward to. The drive to her new home was made in silence for the most part, and this time Lige put forth no effort to entertain her with stories of the West, but left her to her thoughts. Perhaps he had his own thoughts to engage him, or perhaps he saw that she was not inclined to talk. So he merely saw to it that she was well covered by the buffalo robe to keep her warm, and addressed a remark now and then to the horse. As she drove up to Lige's house, Letty experienced a queer remoteness from reality, as if only her body were there, and she herself were far away. All this could not be true. It could not be that life was bringing her to that rude shack set in a bleak expanse of sand to spend her days. This was some other girl, who had borrowed her face and form, and who was to go through this experience of pioneer struggle, of strife with the wind, of a loveless marriage, not she herself, Letty Mason. It was like a picture on a lantern slide, with all the appearance of reality, but soon it would vanish and its place be taken by another. She gazed at the house, which had a bold and naked look, with its shutterless windows, its unpainted walls set up on a few rocks, just a box-house with no clapboards. Set up in makeshift fashion, with a rock at each corner, and an occasional one along the walls, 
it looked as if it might blow away in a strong wind to go bouncing across the plains like a leaf no trees about it no flowers no grass this was to be her home light called out whoopee to apprise his partner of their arrival sourdough stuck his head out of the door to shout in response blast your hide you old son of a gun what do you mean staying away so long where you been all day last night then as he caught a glimpse of letty he fell against the door casing in a state of collapse not altogether pretense by gatlins see who's come he whooped letty laughed at his embarrassment might as well get used to the sight of me sourdough i've come to stay what in heck he began his mouth wide open his jaw dropping meet my wife lige spoke succinctly as he let her in sourdough slumped down on a chair and put his hands to his head in a gesture of bewilderment no he contended challenging first one and then the other with his glance they nodded you old sly possum he mournfully accused lige i might a knowed you had something in your head when you tore off the other night and made me stay at home if i'd a went maybe she'd a married me nope you didn't have no chance at all said lige in an effort to console him he turned his reproachful gaze on letty and i asked you first she dimpled and blushed though she felt a pang of pity for his disappointment just about five minutes first wasn't it he roused indignantly twas me thought of the whole thing and drug him round there by the ear he never could have proposed to no girl by hisself lige's chest expanded in pride you don't know me you can't buffalo me like this you'd ought to have heard me when the storm was going on the north are loosened my tongue you might say if they was given medals for the prize proposals i'd have one pinned on me right now sourdough regarded him with a heavy glance you got the prize all right he conceded morosely yeah just think of it bragged lige what i'm thinking about is me this sure knocks me off the christmas tree lige hastened to make his tone cordial this needn't make no difference at all old scout as soon as we get time to turn round we'll run up another room here and use your kitchen just for the chuck department sourdough waggled his hand in a gesture of negation not on your tin type i ain't staying round to be second fiddle if i can't be tablecloth i won't be dish rag i'll bust out of here and set me up a one-room shack further over on my land letty spoke up heartily build it close sourdough so you can come over here for your meals i don't know i don't know he growled i'm mighty particular about my cooking well i haven't had much experience that's the truth she admitted and when a person of no experience comes up again an outfit that is short on material to work with it's a poor showing i'd say he went into the kitchen and slammed the door heavily behind him. 
it was plain that he was hard smitten with disappointment since he had no wish to talk since he wouldn't even stay in the same room with the newcomer letty felt more wretched still seeing sourdough's unhappiness in her marriage life was a strange queer twisted thing that left you no choice at all in the days that followed she was often to think of sourdough's comment in relation to other things as well as cooking truly she had had no experience in virginia she had been given no training in household affairs because mammy had allowed her only to play at tasks never to do anything worth while for she took the lead in management especially after the mother's illness set in mammy liked to run things in her own way and turned off work as swiftly and efficiently as a machine a machine with capacious arms and a turbaned head and a mouth full of negro melodies letty had dusted a little when she cared to and had arranged flowers for the vases in the various rooms when she felt the inclination here she found those talents of slight avail since there were no flowers and since it was a futile exertion to dust when the sand covered everything again immediately afterward true she had had some slight experience at cora's house but that capable person had managed her own household affairs herself for the most part assigning to the guest who was obviously to be regarded and to regard herself as temporary only such minor tasks as drying dishes making beds and so forth the cooking and the planning cora had jealously reserved for herself in consequence letty must learn almost everything from the beginning how to make bread without milk how to prepare and plan meals without the pantry supplies she had always looked on as simple necessities bricks without clay or straw she discovered so deep was her bitterness against cora that she would almost have longed to forget any useful knowledge she had learned from her for she would forget cora she told herself would put her out of her mind as completely as possible because thinking of her was a pain and a shame a reminder of that humiliation she had suffered a reminder that she had taken the only way of escape from her a marriage without love the thought of her cousin's wife scorched her soul and made her aware of latent emotions she had never guessed were in her nature she mustn't hate cora she told herself for that was a sin the only way to keep from it was to forget her quickly completely to rinse her mind of her yet she loved bev and couldn't bear to forget him she wouldn't let herself think of what bev must have suffered in letting her go as he had but he had been helpless a look almost of death had been in his eyes as he stooped to kiss her good-bye that day how often must he have asked himself in laceration of spirit if he had done all that he could if he might not have saved her in some way but the wind had willed it otherwise yet the work was about all she had to break the monotony of the days she learned life at bev's house had been exciting and vivid by contrast with the children to interest her and make constant appeals to her no books no magazines no music no outside companionship 
but what afflicted her most in the new life was the lack of privacy in the little two-room shack she thought of her upstairs room at home in virginia where no one had entered without her invitation not even her mother her dainty room white curtained immaculate inviolate the intrusions the intimacies of married life appalled her fastidious passionless unwon she felt desperately at times as if she must run away from the house flee blindly across the prairies if only by some magic she could win her way back to her girlhood she hadn't been ready for marriage for this marriage without love if only life had let her wait a while perhaps she might have come to love lige after all perhaps she could have some day married him of her own accord for he was kind and good and honest and loyal she told herself but cora and the wind hadn't let her wait or was it that the wind hadn't let cora allow her to wait she who had felt sympathy with sourdough because he hadn't married her now felt sorry for lige because he had she tried to keep him from knowing how she felt to conceal from him the fact that he had married a girl who didn't love him. True, she had told him, even on that night of the storm, before her surrender, that she didn't love him, but she knew that he had afterwards thought of that as maiden shyness. A married woman loved her husband, in his simple creed of life. She read his mind, his clean and candid mind, and knew that he believed she cared for him as he did for her. She had read novels wherein women had married without love, and where invariably they fell in love with their husbands afterward, dutifully and passionately. But life, she discovered, differed from romances in various aspects. But she would try not to let Lige know how she felt. When he came in from riding the range, tired and dusty, and clasped her in eager arms to greet her, she never pushed him away as she felt an almost uncontrollable impulse to do, but stood still and chill to receive his kiss. She even tried to kiss him in response, but the attempt was not successful. "'You ain't much of a kisser, are you?' Lige inquired ruefully one day she flushed no but i'll try to learn she replied perhaps it was practice that counted as in making bread he looked at her thoughtfully now me i give a hearty smack with a noise like a steer drawing his hoof out of the mud he did indeed she felt a sense of unreality with regard to her life that lessened her wretchedness in some degree this was not actual she would tell herself in the midst of the rawest realism of her experience this was a dreadful dream from which she would presently waken to find herself in her little white room at home dreams lasted a long time it is true or seemed to but when you woke you found that it had been only a few minutes or so Soon she would hear the chime of the old clock in the downstairs hall at home, and wake to listen to a mockingbird song in the night, to the musical baying of a foxhound. Soon Mammy would come to bring her hot water for her morning bath, 
and tell her to hurry up honey if you wants your waffles good and hot of some trivial detail such as the inescapable mexican beans she would say to herself i'll remember this when i wake up or perhaps of something else she would say i'll try to forget this after i'm awake but the wind and the sand she knew she could never forget heaven was a place where there was no wind nor sand hell was where there was nothing else she had impulses of ambition to improve the looks of her habitation if only she had material to work with she could make the two rooms of the shack more presentable at least less repellently crude and bare than at present but when she was a day's journey from even the cheap store of the plains what could she do and lige was hard up for money now and worried about the continued drought though he tried to hide his despondency from her she spoke aloud to herself one day when lige was out on the range if the church at home knew how poor i am they'd send me a missionary box should she write them but no i wouldn't have them know for the world one day she spoke timidly to lige if we could canvas and paper the walls the room would look a lot better and the sand wouldn't come in so bad bad so honey he said rubbing his chin reflectively and smiling then his smile became rueful but we ain't got no canvas nor paper when times are better you can have anything in the world you want just make out your order don't care what it is but right now we got to go slow on expenses i wish it was different i sure do a life in which canvas and wallpaper were unattainable luxuries but she found in a box under the bed a stack of old newspapers and she decided to use them as a substitute she made paste of flour and water and one day when lige came home he found the lower part of the walls of the front room covered rather unevenly it is true with newspapers i left a tall reaching for you to do she told him he reached first for her to give her one of his heartiest hugs one of his most resounding kisses well you sure are a smart little trick he cried i put the papers right side up so we can stand by the wall and read she told him she received another kiss as reward when he had finished the papering job he rearranged the decorations on the wall the skins the polished longhorns the crossed rifles on the floor which she had scrubbed vehemently she placed again the goat skins the wolf skin she covered the bed with the navajo blanket she contrived a dressing-table from an old goods box over which she draped the skirt of a white muslin dress of hers and placed on it her simple toilet articles lige beamed with admiration of the result of her efforts you sure are some little fixer he cried she moved aside to straighten a rug quickly just in time to escape another kiss perhaps it was not judicious to attempt improvements after all 
when she waked from this long dream she would laugh over the memory of her house on the plains but now she couldn't laugh much over anything there was a heaviness in her throat a tightness about her head a constriction about her heart that never left her in the mornings when she waked before she was fully conscious of her surroundings before memory had taken possession of her mind she would feel a dull oppression of spirit which she could not define or explain she would ask herself the cause of her distress before the flash of remembrance came to tell her she was married and this was her home just so on the days right after her mother's death she had wakened with a woe which she could not at first understand until she became roused enough to remember she saw very few people save lige and sourdough who had as quickly as possible erected his one-room house and taken up his separate life and old pedro the mexican who lived in a dugout and who came occasionally to talk to her in his broken dialect she felt for him something of the same affectionate familiarity she had felt for the darkies at home in virginia he was simple and childlike of heart and yet wise because he was old occasionally a cowboy stopped for a meal or a ranchman and his wife came in to break their journey to town the women of the plains were philosophic souls that had learned to bear their hardships with fortitude and they showed that they expected letty to do the same yet in their faces she read strange secrets without their knowing it stories of their struggles and adjustments and their longings grandma powers a wizened little old woman who looked as if time had found her indestructible and retired in defeat from his attacks on her stopped by with her son one day she gazed at the front room admiringly you got your house fixed up real pretty ain't ya letty gave a rebellious sigh as she thought of the dream-house which her bridal days were to have brought her well it's a roof over our heads at least she conceded huh mumbled the old woman with toothless sarcasm you better be thankful you got a house to live in when me and my jim homesteaded we lived in a dugout a long spell you don't know nothin about hard times if you haven't had to do for a man and three babies in a dugout letty shuddered there were depths to which she hadn't yet descended i can't imagine how you did it she cried i didn't have no time to imagine it's what folks imagines that generally ruins em it's like maggots in the brain my hands and feet had to keep moving so fast that my head didn't have no chance to contradict them but why did you come out here if you didn't have a house to come to letty questioned curiosity was unmannerly yes but she had to ask grandma didn't mind for she chuckled as one looking back on prehistoric jokes there wasn't a house nor a tree nor a lord's blessed thing on these bald-headed prairies when we got here except wild cattle and wild horses and injuns and buffaloes 
Jim and me had hove everything we had into a covered wagon and we started out. We lived in the wagon till Jim got the dugout ready for us. But how did you live? We lived on game, mostly. Buffalo steak is pretty good, and antelope is fine. And when folks is poor and hungry, they ain't no ways choosy. Letty considered a moment. I think you were awfully brave. If you got chillin, you got to strike out to give him a chance. But it ain't been a lass easy, I can tell ya. Two o' my babes was born while I was by myself in the house, except for the other babies, and Jim was out ridin' the range. But I got through all right, and eight out o' the twelve chillin are livin' today. I got one boy in the state legislature, and one a preacher. Her head lifted with pioneer pride. Her dim blue eyes, that had looked life and death in the face, unafraid, were filled with wise and quiet victory. Admiration for her surged up in Letty's young heart. You deserve to have one President of the United States, she cried. Grandma cackled enjoyingly. <laughs> Maybe I will? Letty faced her with sudden determination for knowledge. Here was a woman who had grown old and wise on the plains, who had lived through long experiences with pioneer hardships and the problems that a woman has to wrestle with in the West. Surely she could be able to give her some wisp of advice, of encouragement. How did you ever get used to the wind? she demanded. A shrewd look came into the far-seeing old eyes that even yet disdained the use of spectacles. Honey, that's the hardest thing a woman is up against on the plains. Men don't know what it means to us. Their nerves ain't like ourn. They are made so they can stand some things better nor we can, while again they're weak as babes about something we don't think enough to be scared about. Grandma paused a moment to remember the winds that had harassed her. I knee about fashed myself out over the wind at first. When I see my complexion being ruined, and my eyes knee about put out with sand, and my nerves wore to a frazzle, I wanted to holler whenever the wind begin to rise. That's the way I feel, muttered Letty, her hands involuntarily clenching with nervousness at the thought. Then I certain sure could agree with the old saying, Never mind the weather, so the wind don't blow. But I got over all that. I saw that other things in life was more valuable than my pink skin, and it used to be pink as a peach bloom in them days, honey, though you wouldn't think it to look at it now. And I say to myself, Let's God leather take his weather. And I got over hatin' it so. But I had to stop looking in the looking-glass. Letty gave a shiver. I can stand everything better than I can the wind. The lonesomeness, the lack of anything, the work. Nothing so bad as the wind. Better not to think too much about it, cautioned the old woman. In a storm country like this, if I was you, I wouldn't remind the Lord of wind so much. 
I guess you're right, faltered Letty. I'll try to remember about it. Yes, that was wisdom, and she must heed it. If she stopped thinking about the wind, maybe it would stop blowing. But she couldn't, and it didn't. Her restless thoughts prowled like coyotes round the cap rock that made a gathering place for storms. The worst in the state, Lige had said. And it was so close, and their little shack had no cyclone cellar to flee to. Many a night she shivered with fear, listening to the wind rush and shriek as she pictured a cyclone from the vision Mr. Word Roddy had given her. A vast cloud of sand that spiralled to the sky, sweeping with a roar over the plains toward her, inescapable, resistless, remorseless. And Lige slept heavily beside her, unaware of her terrors. Many a time she told herself that she would face the facts and be rational. What if a cyclone came? At least it would sweep her away from this prisoning shack. What if it killed her? Then she would be free from marriage, because the Bible said there was no marrying nor giving in marriage in heaven. The death had its desirable aspects. Perhaps it was because she thought so continually of wind that the sandstorm came. Who knows the power of nervous suggestion to stir up wind and sand? She had thought she knew all the possibilities of this dual torment, but she had much yet to learn. When she had been married about a month, though it seemed like a cycle of eternity to her, a fierce wind arose a wind that circled and seemed to come from all directions at once. It caught up the sand from the plains that were dry as powder, and drove it with whirling motions across the wide spaces that offered no obstacle to break its force. The impact of the wind against the house was terrific. Letty shuddered with every creak and tremor of the frail structure, expecting to see it blown to pieces. The sand was hurled against the house with a violence that seemed hellishly malevolent, vindictive. The wind had gathered to itself seven other devils of sand to torment the helpless inmates of the lonely house. Sand streamed in through the cracks in the walls and slid the newspapers into ribbons. It seeped in at the edges of doors and windows that were shut as tight as possible. It came down from the ceiling. It blew upward through cracks in the flooring. It hung like a yellow fog in the room. Letty looked out of the window to see the sky. The sun rode aloft in a pageantry of clouds, casting a yellow glow over a strange world. Whirling curtains of dust, veils that writhed and twisted, hung like cloth of gold from the heavens, as high as she could see. The wind was no longer naked and invisible. It had clothed itself with those swirling veils that revealed its obscene antics, its horrific gestures. It was a thing unbearable to see the wind. Letty turned from the window and averted her eyes. But she could not escape the sand. Her eyes smarted with it. Her face stung with it. Her nostrils were clogged when she breathed, and her throat choked with it. 
whatever her hand touched felt its harshness that gave her a nervous shiver when she lay down at night her pillow was scratchy with its covering of sand she could feel the grains crawling inside her clothing like vermin when she waked from snatches of sleep nervous and wretched it was to find her eyes filled with sand so that she could scarcely open them her cheeks were rough with it not even her tears could cleanse her eyes completely when she set the table for a meal she would turn the plates and cups downward so that they might remain clean as long as possible she did the cooking in covered vessels and served portions hastily then put the covers back but even so despite all her efforts they ate sand with every mouthful of food they took the sand came in at the doors and windows to collect in such piles that it could not easily be swept out by the broom lige removed it with a shovel lige and letty moved about the house like silent stumbling victims of torture once he called her to the window look how that sand has piled like snowdrifts there by the windbreak you could bury a steer and never tell there was anything there she looked in amazement i never dreamed of anything like this she choked i have seen it bad in town when it has drifted over picket fences till you could walk right over and not know there was any fence there he told her oh i wouldn't walk on it she cried passionately her hands twisting i wouldn't trust it i'd be afraid it would catch me in a trap like quicksand and smother me i don't know about that he said coughing the sand is is wicked she said shrilly oh sand was treacherous more treacherous than anything else in the world save wind no human being no wild beast even could be so tricky and so crafty and so cruel as the wind and the sand but the wind controlled the sand the wind was behind all the evil that the sand did it was the evil mind the wind was a will a force a pitiless intelligence as well as a power if you listened right you could hear it laugh and shriek at you you could see its footsteps in the bending grass when there was any grass before starving cattle had eaten it down to the roots you could see it twisting the mesquite bushes and blowing the clouds away that had come to bring rain and lashing the clothes hung on the line but you couldn't see the wind except when it drew the sand up over itself then you saw a mad elemental thing that you couldn't bear to look at the sandstorm lasted for three days just when a wild look was coming into letty's eyes when she had begun to mutter to herself much of the time but in an undertone so that lige would not hear and ask what did you say honey the wind subsided the calm was like that after a flood when the waters have receded and the eye sees only the wreckage the perverse devastation that it has wrought the ground in some places was swept so bare that it looked as if the whole top surface had been blown away 
while in other places against the house by the windbreak wherever any slight obstruction had made possible a nucleus for the sand to collect great drifts were piled it was fantastic incredible this was in the last days of march in march in virginia the hepaticas would be coming out there would be anemones too and windflowers fair and frail and trillium small like a baby cyclamen painted and with its whorl of deep green leaves and the dog-tooth violets and other flowers of the woods the trees would be misting with young green and a green flush would have stolen over the grass and the meadows the birds that had gone south for the winter would be winging their way back to the north spring in virginia as letty fed dried cow chips picked from the range in the round iron stove she could shut her eyes and see the great old fireplaces at home with their leaping rainbowed flames and their beds of brilliant coals where visions lay whence dreams stole forth did dreams ever wake again once they were dead yet underneath her deadness letty felt always a sense of curious still expectancy of something that was to come she asked herself what is it she searched the realms of possibility though even the unquenchable optimism of youth gave her no promise of change still she questioned but the answer eluded her end of chapter eight